Welcome to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Matt Marchese here with you solo as Donovan Bennett is off for this week. He will be back next Tuesday. And for those listening on the podcast, thank you. Thank you. Greatly appreciate your service and your downloads. You know, I came into I came into work today driving in and I'm like, I've got everything prepared. I feel I feel like I'm going to have a good show. Not that I'm not that I don't feel that now, but there's a certain level of preparedness that you have to have as a radio host. And then as I come in, get the message on my phone. By the way, somebody lost their job. And I'm going That's exactly what David Tepper said to Frank Reich today. He walks in the room. Hey, Frank. Tough loss yesterday. Yeah, you know, I I just, I, yeah, it was a rough one. And, you know, Bryce Young, we're not seeing an improvement. But Frank. And off you go. Frank Reich fired as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers without even getting through a season. One in 10 through 11 games to start the year. And he doesn't even get an opportunity to basically get the most out of Bryce Young. Frank Reich also with being fired makes NFL history by becoming the first coach in the history of, well, since the merger, anyway, in 1970. That gets fired in back-to-back years. Like, that's a tough one. Back-to-back seasons, goodbye. Now, do I think that Frank Reich is a bad coach? No. I think that Frank Reich made some mistakes, sure. But Frank Reich didn't build this roster. Frank Reich, it sounds like, didn't even want to draft Bryce Young. And we're going to see how that plays out in the media because as coaches get fired and as, you know, people start to get sour, they start to get a little, mm, I don't know, verbal diarrhea. Oh, that one slipped out. Did I just say that we wanted C.J. Stroud over Bryce Young? No, I didn't say that. That's just something that you heard come out of my mouth. I feel like we're going to be getting that a lot. But the roster wasn't good enough. The offensive line specifically wasn't good enough. The receivers and the tight ends weren't good enough. Coach is playing. He's, He's working with what he's got. But David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers and this front office needs to take a long look in the mirror about their process. They paid the premium to get Bryce Young. They set the franchise back with the package that they gave up to draft Bryce Young. They signed the free agent wide receivers and didn't improve the offensive line. And they believed that Frank Reich was the guy who should lead their team and the guy who shepherds Bryce Young into the NFL. They are who should be to blame. They are to blame for this debacle in Carolina. Like, let's not forget that David Tepper 
also brought in Matt Rule to run this franchise as the head coach and fired him very quickly. I tweeted this out. And if anybody wants to respond to it, go ahead. At MattyMar89. We should be having the conversation about the Carolina Panthers being the worst run organization in the NFL. Joe Pompliano on Twitter, who is a fantastic follow, um, he tweeted this out about David Tepper. And this is, I mean, if this doesn't tell you the whole story about David Tepper, then I don't know what does. Here's his tweet. David Tepper is quickly becoming one of the worst owners in sports. He spent over $2.5 billion on the Carolina Panthers and Charlotte FC of Major League Soccer, but has gone through five head coaches in four years, including four in the last 18 months. The Panthers, one in 10, also don't have a first-round pick this year, and Tepper is now on the hook for roughly $25 million in buyout fees for his last two NFL coaches. That's rough. That is what we would call bad business. This is what we would call get your hand out of the cookie jar because you're ruining the cookies, David Tepper. Keep your filthy hands away from my football team is what the Carolina Panthers fans should be saying. David Tepper was the guy who was going to save this franchise. He's actually made it worse. And considering where the franchise was before, that's saying a lot. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Brendan Deeg, the score NFL editor and the Double Doink podcast joins me now. How shocked were you at the news today considering that Frank Reich was literally just hired about 20 minutes ago by this organization to help bring Bryce Young into the NFL? And now we look at it and go, well, they screwed up again. First off, Matt, it's always a good day when I get to hear you rant solo about a bad <laughs> Carolina Panthers team. So that made me smile. Good, good work there. And I wasn't surprised because there were rumors um, that his seat was hot and it was getting hotter over the games go. And you had to do it. Like, you invested so much in Bryce Young. Your asset wasn't succeeding, and some change had to be made. And this is, um, this is kind of a wake-up call for that organization. They're going to have to figure it out now. They have to get Bryce Young paired with someone they think they can, that he can succeed with. They have to get him weapons, an offensive line. They're kind of starting over with this quarterback and not a lot of assets to use. And I will say this. I am a Bryce Young guy. I, I really like Bryce Young. Um, I, w- I thought he was the, should have been the number one overall pick in the draft. Take's not looking really good right now. But uh, I think he's uber talented. I still think he's got a lot left. I think he can be a top seven, top ten quarterback with the right piece around him, with the right coaching. And he has to play better too. But, um, and I think he will if he gets the right piece around him. So um, it had to be done. Carolina's been a mess. And, uh, yeah, they, they're kind of starting over. They are, and, you know, there there's going to, and I mentioned this in the open here, like there's going to be some people that come out and say that Bryce Young was not the guy that they wanted. And while that may in fact be true, because at the end of the day, as much as we want to believe that coaches and GMs are going to have the final say, if the owner says, mm, not taking that guy, guess what? You're not taking that guy. And so the Bryce Young thing to me is very interesting because I don't think this organization has done him any favors uh, specifically, as you mentioned, with the wide receivers in the offensive line. But here's the here's the problem. The problem now is, how do you fix this? Like, who is the guy that comes in and, and ends up, you know, helping Bryce Young? Because 
yes, I think that Frank Reich is, is a good coach. I also think that Frank Reich could only play with the guys that he had and not some make-believe team that he wished he had. And guess what? The front office and the owner put that team in front of him. So I don't know how much of this is on Frank Reich, and I really have a hard time in even making an assessment on Bryce Young at this point because the team's horrible. Matt, Frank Reich definitely deserves some blame. Like, that offense is painful to watch. He's almost like bringing it back to, like, the early 2000s. There's no creativity to it. Um, he's kind of lost all the fire and juice that he had when he was the Eagles, the offensive coordinator there. Like, he just hasn't been the same play caller and offensive mind since he departed Philadelphia. But I will say this, you're right. Like, the front office, there's a ton of blame here. Scott Fitterer is the general manager of Carolina Panthers. I think should probably be checking his uh, his employment status after the season because you look at, they traded a lot of their assets away, right? Like, Christian McCaffrey trade. Like, they they gave up kind of all the stuff they had, all the, all the gold they have to make it work around Bryce Young. And now you're kind of left with no draft picks. Not a, not a lot of young talent. And your only good young talent guy right now is Brian Burns, and you can't get a contract done with him. Like, it's kind of just... And you turned down that. two first-round picks for him. Yes. And, like, they, we talked about this, I think, on the last time I was here. They had a similar route to the Texans building their team. Free agent tight end, free agent wide receiver, free agent running back, and draft young quarterback. And the Texans hit it at all, and the Panthers didn't. Like, the guy, Miles Sanders was a terrible contract. Like, I could have saw that coming from a mile away. Like, it was just... It was not a right plan. It was not well done. And the front office is definitely deserves most of the blame, but Frank Reich, is, uh, he had to go. He was kind of a dead man walking in Carolina. Yeah, he really was. And I, Frank Reich will find a job. It's just how quickly Frank Reich wants to work. And now here's the other thing. The Carolina Panthers, with the new rules that are in place, they can't interview somebody until January 22nd, I believe. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of time to look in the mirror and figure this thing out. And the problem is, is, I wonder if they have too much time that they might make it worse. I know that's really hard to do, but at this point, I don't know how you can make it any better. Anyway. The only worst it could get is if Bryce Young gets hurt. Like, you just got to keep him healthy. Like, get into next year. Make sure Bryce Young's healthy going into year two. Um, and Frank Reich might have a job. Maybe your Buffalo Bills at the end of the oh, year. Oh, man. Well, I mean, okay, since we're there. Um, <laughs> listen. I, I know the, you were happy with the Bryce Young news first, but you didn't have to leave with it, right? Oh, the Panthers news first, sorry. Oh, I was going to rip Sean McDermott a new one anyway, but <laughs> I mean, since we're here, at, at the end of the day, as a football fan, that was as fun a football game as you yes. will ever see. Uh, from the Buffalo Bills fan perspective, it was awful. And I mean, you know, I, I've I've said this about the Bills basically all season. When you look at their six losses, they beat themselves in those losses. I don't think that they were significantly outplayed, even in the Bengals game. It's not as if, like, Joe Burrow was, you know, red hot and the Bills couldn't stop him. The Bills were in that game. They lost by six points, and it was, you know, a fumble, that uh, the, the Dalton Kincaid fumble that ended up doing them in. In yesterday's game, it was, you know, James Cook dropping what is an easy walk-in touchdown. Uh, Gabe Davis and Josh Allen having a miscommunication in overtime. That's the ball game there. Or talk about the two missed field goals, one block and then the one missed by Tyler Bass. And then we can even go further. A 59-yarder in horrible weather by Jake Elliott. I mean, that feels like a game that, well, they probably weren't going to win anyway. But I say no, because Sean McDermott, has proven, and I was a big Sean McDermott guy, no no question. He helped turn this franchise around, created a culture, but they don't need a culture shift anymore. They need to win football games. And I'm sorry, I'm going on a soapbox a little bit here, so just bear with me. Um, yesterday, he got outcoached again yes. in situational 
football. This zero blitz thing that he loves to do is not working. You do not have the bodies to do it. You do not have the secondary to do it. And yesterday he got out coached again. But the, for me, the biggest one was he burns a timeout when the guy's about to kick a 59 yarder. It's a 59 yarder. If he makes it it's not or misses it, it's not because you called a timeout. So he wastes the timeout with 20 seconds left or whatever it was. He burns that and then they take a knee with Josh Allen, who was absolutely red hot. One of the greatest games that I've seen Josh Allen play. He literally put the team on his back yesterday. Is Sean McDermott the right guy for this football team anymore? So you're talking about getting out coach. I think uh, something that's kind of going under the radar in this game is, I don't know if you saw Jordan Mailata's comments where he said that oh, when, they, sure uh, when they uh, ran that quarterback draw and they saw a six-man box, they were like, are you kidding me? Like, sign me up. And... It's funny because the Eagles, like they had a great game plan against the Eagles offense the first half. The Eagles were trying to attack the ball deep uh, in their secondary. The Bills are banged up in the secondary. And the Bills countered that with great zone coverage, confusing Jalen Hurts. And they, Jalen Hurts didn't have the answers to the test. At halftime, they get to the drawing board and they go, we're going to run it down their throats. There's six-man boxes here. We're going to run RPOs, quick slants. And the Bills did not adjust to the Eagles' adjustments. And they got torched in the second half. Like it was... A completely different game in the first half and the second half. And the Eagles were just more efficient and uh, better adjustments and did more thinking and more strategy, more coaching. Like, you can look at the last two losses to the Bills, and you can probably single-handedly blame Sean McDermott on them. The zero blitz and then just bad defense, bad coaching. You brought up the, uh, getting Josh Allen to try to push the ball down the field when he kicks the field goal. It's little things like that. And it's gone to the point now where he's got rid of everyone. He has no one else left to blame. He, he's already fired the offensive quarter, Ken Dorsey. He, let, let, he made Leslie Frazier basically go into retirement last year. Um, he's, he has no more lifelines. And I would be shocked if, the, uh, if he's the head coach of the Buffalo Bills at the end of this year. The Bills' defense ranks 27th in EPA per play since week five. The offense ranks sixth. There's your answer. The defense is not good. I know injuries have something to do with that. But the offense looked at the problem. And, we, and I had that take on the show when they fired Ken Dorsey. I said, this is not going to fix much. And look, this is a perfect example that they scored 30-plus points and lost. So, yeah. And that comes down to McDermott. He's, he's running the defense, and he's the head coach too. So it's, he's got a full responsibility here. And you're right, Josh Allen, though, like that was, that was one of the best quarterback performance I've seen from any quarterback over the last couple of years. Like some of the throws he was making, that throw to Stephon Diggs in the, in the end zone for that touchdown, like you had to put that in the exact spot. He was – he had 22 first downs by himself. Yeah. He, like, he yeah. was running. Like, he had 0.7 EPA on scrambles. Like, every time he scrambled, they built, it was the most efficient play, basically, of the week. He's, uh, he's just so impressive. And I, I felt bad for him, to be honest, um, at the end of that game. One last thing, too. I, I uh, compared this game, because I'm a Bills, like, my second favorite team. Like, I'm an Eagles guy. I compared it to Shawn Michaels uh, telling Ric Flair that he loves him and he's sorry before he kicks him and knocks him out. Yeah. That's, that's kind of how I felt. And you can, you can go on that, too, because you're, uh, you're my friend, and I didn't, don't want to see you lose. But, unfortunately, it had to happen. I just said, I said to my, I was watching the game with my buddy, and I said, you know, the Eagles can lose another one. Like, they only have one. The Bills, the Bills deserve an, another win, don't they? And then the way the game went, like, when Gabe Davis missed that, that, uh, that play in the end zone, I was like, that's it. They're done. And that's, 
that's probably the season for the Buffalo Bills, if we're being honest, because it really does feel like they're probably going to have to run the table at this point. Maybe you have one loss that you can have, and then you're 10 and seven, but even 10 and seven doesn't necessarily feel like it's going to be the answer right now, unless, you know, I guess the Browns could go into a real tailspin here. Uh, You could maybe say the same thing about the Steelers, although their offense looked a lot better. Um, and Indy's a playoff team right now too. And they're not really a playoff team for me either. So is there room for improvement? Yes, absolutely. But you know, when you lose six games by six points or less and Josh Allen can't win an overtime in his career, it just, it really felt like last night was just kind of the microcosm of the entire season for them. I don't think it's like fully over. Like they, I feel like Buffalo's a good football team. Like I don't think they're bad, but I don't think they're playing up the expectations of the way they should. Like if you're quarterback, Totals over 440 yards, five touchdowns. You have to win that football game. Yeah. Like, it, no matter what, like, that is, you're, you can't have a better performance than that. It's, it reminds me of the Eagles Super Bowl. Like, Jalen Hurts played his, like, he gave everything he had. He was the best player on the field. He still lost because the Eagles defense was bad. Like, you need to win on all, all phases of the game. I, I, I don't, I wouldn't rule them out. Like, you got the Chiefs coming up. If you get a win there, you host the Cowboys, then you could be playing a Chargers team that's kind of in the dumps. And then you got New England and Miami. Like, it's not over yet. You could win four of those last five. It also helps that the Texans lost and some of those other wildcard teams lost. The Browns with DTR injured. Miles Garrett's also banged up. They, I, I think the Bills are the better team than all those, but they don't have the record to show it. And those early season losses are really coming back to bite them right now. Yeah, the best stat that I saw yesterday, and it was such a Bills stat. So the Bills, this is from Ed Werder from ESPN. The Bills are the 40th team since the 1970 merger to have 500 yards 10 third down conversions and a positive turnover margin in a game. They are the first team to lose that scenario. Teams were 39 and 0 entering that game. So there you go. That just kind of puts it all into perspective. Okay. Let's focus on the Eagles a little bit here Um, because you know, I don't know what else you can ask for from Jalen hurts. Like, and that was after what was a really poor showing in the first half. And he just turned it on and became, you know, that dude in the second half. Um, it's funny for me to say that because I look at the Eagles and I say, and you've watched them a lot more closely than I have, but I've watched them plenty. I don't think that they've put together their best performance, what they're capable of doing no. yet. And they're 10 and one that's frightening to the rest of the yeah. league, or at least it should be. The last two weeks have kind of like made me realize like how good Jalen hurts is and how valuable it is because I've been kind of slow on like Jalen hurts as the MVP taker, how good Jalen hurts is like how well he's playing this year. Because a lot of the, the early success this year with Eagles offense was A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith dunking on guys. Like man-to-man coverage, just beating the guy in front of you. The Chiefs and Bills game plan was, Jalen Hurts, we're going to throw some different coverages your way. You're going to have to figure it out. And he struggled in the first half against the Chiefs, and he struggled mightily in the first half against the Bills. Like, I, I didn't think that he had a chance at all to win in the, when I was watching the first half. And then he had to figure it out. He had to overcome adversity. And he had to just figure out answers that weren't there early. And A.J. Brown didn't have a big game. Like, Devonta Smith had, like, somewhat of a good game. Like, Ole Mazikias made a play. Like, you're seeing everyone on the team and guys that weren't that aren't A.J. Brown, aren't Devonta Smith, aren't the top-paid guys starting to succeed. Like, uh, Ole Mazikias was signed for one uh, year, $4 million this year. And Chase Claypool getting traded for a second-round pick. Like, the, Tyler Roseman's able to kind of just find, like, value and people that are guys that other teams don't see. Like, Kevin Byard was a great trade. Now he's very poor. Bradley Roby was signed 
um, in uh, in October. The two starting linebackers, that Cunningham and Nicholas Moore, were both not on the team before when training camp started, and now they're like actual good players on the team. So they just always overcome adversity, injuries. They always go and find a guy. Uh, Jalen Hurts, whenever there's problems in his way, he just goes out and wins. 14 straight wins against teams with a winning record. He's now came back in seven straight games when he's trailing by 10-plus points, and he's 27-2 in his last 29 starts. It's, uh, it's remarkable, man. Like, he keeps exceeding my expectations as an Eagles fan, and it's wild. And this is uh, – if you're an Eagles fan, enjoy this because this is special. And it's uh, – back 10-1 in back-to-back years is really hard to do in the NFL. And I, I think – like, I think the Cowboys and 49ers are just as good, and they'll be competitive with them, and you have to get to the playoffs. But – they can get the number one seed again, and you have to, uh, the NFC has to go through the link. They're definitely the favorite to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a tough road to go through for anybody. Uh, Jalen Hurts also the the favorite now to win MVP at most, if not all, sports books right now. He is the odds-on favorite. So, and that and that after what was a really pedantic, you know, very un Jalen Hurts like start to the season, uh, he's been as impressive as anybody has. Uh, speaking of impressive. I I didn't think I would put these two phrases, impressive and the Denver Broncos, in the same category. And now you can look at it and go, well, they beat the Browns and they were on to, you know, whatever string quarterback you want to call DTR or um or or PJ Walker, because you know, DTR the concussion. But they win 29-12, a nice little scoragami for everybody. And they just keep on winning and piling these wins up. And I look at their schedule and I see at Texans, at Chargers, at Lions, home to the Patriots, home to the Chargers, at the Raiders. Like, could they actually have a shot here, as frightening as that sounds? Because I don't think they're very – I think their defense is very good, especially lately, uh, certainly not at the beginning of the season, but their offense sucks. Like, how how can this team make the playoffs? Because it looks like they might. They're playing like 2000-style football. Run the ball, don't turn it over and play good defense. Like, their defense since that 70-burger that, that got dropped on them against Miami, and that Miami game has completely flipped around. They've got a lot of turnover luck their way. This that kind of blew my mind today. The Denver Broncos have 53 expected points added off of fumbles this year. The next closest team is the Giants with 24. That is just, like, crazy turnover luck. That stuff will come back down to normal, and that regression will happen. But they're also – another thing, too, I was looking up today – they were the uh, the most sacked, or Russell Wilson was sacked quarterback in the NFL last year. He was sacked four times a game. Right now, it's sitting at 3.2 sack times per game, which is not crazy. But one sack in the NFL matters. Like a big sack can ruin a drive. A big sack can ruin momentum. And Russell Wilson was not just making those dumb uh, dumb mistakes and not getting sacked in big spots. And they're running the ball well. They ran for uh, over 160 yards on that Browns defense, which is one of the best defense in the NFL. So they're playing kind of just like. Ben don't break style football. I don't know how long it's going to last, but you got to give credit. Like Russell Wilson is being efficient. He's not throwing the ball, but like they're just, they're, they're a well-coached team. Like Sean Payne's doing a good job there after a bad start. So you got to give him credit, but I'm with you. Like, I, I don't think they're going to like a top AFC contender, but yeah, you're, they're definitely in the race for the playoff spot. And they're looking pretty good right now. Six and five, like five straight wins in, in the middle of the season for a first head coach is really impressive. So I thought to Sean Payton for what he's doing in Denver. See, and that and that's the thing that I struggle with is I don't know how long this can work for because when I when I look at this the style of the NFL right now, it's you know we always say it's a passing league. Well, it is, and defenses are tailored to stop the pass, and because especially the way the penalties are called, it's you know it's it's for the offense and for the passing game because that's what's exciting and i look at this team and i say how long can you keep this up like can you win a playoff game 
with this kind of like, can you get first? Can you get into the playoffs? And then we get ahead of ourselves. Can you win a playoff game? Like, are you going to beat the Jaguars like that? Are you going to beat um, maybe maybe it's the Texans, but it's probably the Jags. Are you going to beat the the, Dolphins like that? that, Right. That's the problem. Like the quarterback. In the end, they're always just in the AFC. There's so many good quarterbacks. Yeah. Right? Like, Josh Patrick Mahomes. Like eventually, like when you hit the in the playoffs, the like the long the farther you go in the season, the better quarterbacks you play. Like and when they hit the playoff time, it's very tough to win with the quarterback that's not as good as from the guy across from you. So that's that's their issue, right? And, uh, and if you're in the NFC, for instance, like the NFC doesn't have as many good quarterbacks as the AFC. So yeah, it's uh, they're a, they're a fun story. Like they're they're an interesting. They came out of nowhere. Like. No one would have thought the Chargers would be four and seven or four and six, and the Broncos would be six and five. No, the year. no, and uh, it's that division slipped upside down, and both those teams are kind of going have been going in opposite directions since week five, and it's, it's fun. It's, it's a nice new wrinkle to the NFL year because Sean Payton was a big story, and he's um, he's succeeding with it. So um, yeah, it, it's fun. Good for the Broncos have been through hell the last like five, six, seven years. That uh, that fan base is there. Well, not as much as the Bills, but okay, fine. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about let's talk about officiating because. There are a lot of bad calls. You know, there were a few in the, the one on Josh Allen. Um, the the roughing the passer call was weak. Let's also talk about, you know, the fact that Josh Allen got called for an intentional grounding penalty while he was getting horse collared or, you know, the there was I can't even point to one bad call in the Houston Jacksonville game because there was about 10. Are, why do you think that officiating has been so bad? Is it, there's, let's face it, and I, I don't mean to sound ageist, but are there too many old guys that are officiating NFL games? Do they need some young blood to keep up with the speed of the game? Uh, do we need to have a different replay system? And I know we don't want to get too bogged down with replay, but should we be able to challenge pass interference or, you know, something like that? Like, what is it for you that makes it seem like the officiating is worse or is it worse? And it's just, or, and it's just under the spotlight. And that's why it feels like it's worse. Yeah. I, I think it's, I, I don't think it's been like worse this year compared to other years. Like the thing is bad calls in like big situations always get um, blown up and they're, that's the reason they lost. And that's, that's why it's because of the refs. Um, I'm a good person to talk to subject with because as an Eagles fan, I saw my team, the last play that they had was them losing on a flag in the Super Bowl. But after that, like when I zoomed out, I said the Eagles didn't lose because of that flag. They lost because Quez Watkins dropped a deep pass. If he catches that, they would have scored a touchdown. Like there's little, like not a, a bad flag doesn't dictate a game overall. Like the Texans could have won the football uh, against the Jaguars yesterday. They got, they couldn't, they got bullied in the trenches. The Jaguars offensive line dominated the Texans D line. Like that's why they lost. I know that that penalty was bad, but overall, the, I think um, social media is taking the bad officiating to a next level. Um, we've got more accounts kind of spotting videos everywhere, so it's more open, right? Instagram, all the social media places where you can see videos nowadays. I always think the NFL fishing is a bad. It's hard. Like, it's such like bang-bang plays. Like, it, it's a hard thing to do as a fish at the NFL, but um, you're right. It has, it has to be better. Like, it, it, it's been bad, and I don't know what the fix is for you, though. Um, like, it, if there was an easy fix, I think it would have been done by now. Um, and uh, it's just 
it's kind of it's it's going to be like this. The NFL is going to have bad calls. There's going to be bad officiating, and fans are going to get mad at them. And that's kind of how the NFL is. That's why we love it so much. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of that Texans Jags game, so the Jags win this one 24-21. and I really thought that when Houston got the ball back, there was way too much time on the clock for C.J. Stroud. But this is a big victory for the Jags. It's basically a two-win week because the Texans were right on their heels. But I want to kind of look big picture at this thing because the way that both of those quarterbacks played yesterday, both of them threw for over 300 yards. Both of them rushed for a touchdown. Uh, They threw a a couple of themselves. Like It was a really fun game to watch. Could we be seeing one of the better rivalries in terms of two quarterbacks going head-to-head because they're both young, they're, they both have a, a bunch of talent, although I think that the ceiling for C.J. Stroud is a little bit higher based on what we've seen. But, you know, those two te- those two guys going head-to-head in what used to be the laughingstock division, and, hey, don't forget about Anthony Richardson coming up as well, um, that could be a lot of fun for the next five or six years. Yeah, we were, we were talking about this. I said that to my uh, co-host Eric Warner on my double on the Double Dog podcast. I said like it's, uh, the AFC uh, the AFC so quietly has like nice young quarterback rivalries, and the, and the Texans and Jaguars is uh, probably the best one. They're, that was a fun game. It, it saved the one o'clock slate because the one o'clock slate was really bad outside yep. of that game. Um, CJ Stroud was so good. Like he it's, he he, he um, amazes me every week. Like his ability to flip the wrist, the ball gets so fast. His ability to read defense, like he's. He's almost like he's a veteran in, in a rookie body. Like he, his brain is already like a 10 year NFL veteran and he's got the young athletic body to go with it. And the, like I said, the problem with the Texans, what happened was they couldn't, they couldn't run the ball and they were getting bullied in, uh, in the trenches. The Texans gave up four sacks. The Jaguars gave up none. That's kind of the game there. And the Jags, what was really impressive for the Jags was you saw Calvin Ridley back. You saw kind of like the stuff that you wanted to see um, back in when they made the signs and they made all these moves in the offseason, you're starting to see that kind of come to fruition. Some of the Calvin really routes in that game, whew, like you're kind of getting the Atlanta Falcons, Calvin really back. So um, if you're, if you're a Jaguar fan, you have to be fired up about that win. Um, it was a nice team, team effort. It was a like you said, big one in the division and where, which could dictate playoff, uh, playoff format formats um, in the next coming weeks. Uh, last one for you on CJ Stroud. He's in the MVP race. There's no question about that now. Like he's he's firmly planted in there. Where do you have him right now? Because, you know, we can talk about Dak Prescott's having an MVP type season. We can talk we can throw in Jalen Hurts, of course, Tyreek Hill, uh, Christian McCaffrey. Like, where do you have him? Like, if you had to make a list of let's say your top three or top five, is he there? I'm um, top five, he's probably there, but is he there top three? I don't. The, the thing is, is not the MVP discussion this year just makes my head spin. Um, yeah, it's so every week it changes. That, yeah, it, it, it's too early. Like I do think eventually over the next few uh, three, four, five weeks, like people are going to start separating themselves. But um, I was asked this question on, uh, I believe, on a radio hit on the five ninety last week, and I, my, it hasn't changed since one week. I got Stroud, Dak Prescott, Jalen Hurts, Brock Purdy, um, Dak, Brock, Jalen, uh, Dak. Did I say five? Sorry, I got my guys mixed up. Uh, Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy, Jalen Hurts, CJ Stroud um, are, the, are, the, are the top guys. Yeah. And it's just, I, I think I'm missing one. I can't remember exactly what I had. I had to take written down. Uh, not Patrick Holmes. Uh, Josh Allen. Josh Allen first. Josh Allen. Okay. Um, and then uh, I think like you can make an argument for all of them. Like Josh Allen, for instance, is playing arguably his best football, just the turnovers have been a problem. Right? Like he's been carrying that team. He's been the best player on that team. 
Um, he's just the wins haven't been there, so that doesn't he doesn't have that uh, to his resume. Dak Prescott has played really, like the best football you could um, that he's ever played, arguably like, over the last three four weeks. He's been the best quarterback in the NFL efficiency wise, but um, he just doesn't take wins. Like they don't have that team over winning record. CJ Stroud, yeah, the, the Texans are just six and five or six and four, whatever they are, and they just they're not like at the top where Jalen Hurts is, like the team that's sitting at ten and one, and then Jalen Hurts' numbers are just worse. Than the other guys I mentioned, if Brock Purdy's numbers are so good, but he doesn't look right, and he has those, those three guys, bad game stretch. So there's just there's push and pull with all these guys. Uh, it's just such a crowded room right now, and it's like I said, the MVP conversation just makes my head hurt. And I also had Miles Miles Garrett in there as well before sure. week and he got injured. But uh, like Miles Garrett was arguably the best player on the best defense for a team that was like seven three and winning that way. So I thought Miles Garrett deserved like uh, recognition there, but we know we will never go to a non quarterback, but. Uh, I do think he's playing an MVP level, but yeah, like I, I really hope, and I really do think that we'll start seeing these guys separate from each other over the next few weeks. So I said I was going to let you go, so I lied. I got one more. Just about the just about the MVP conversation. Like we talk about the wins, and you know you got to be on a good team or whatever. And I'm not saying to hand the the MVP to someone who doesn't necessarily get to the playoffs, but. When you look like in the case of CJ Stroud, there were zero expectations for this team. And he's having one of, if not the greatest rookie seasons that we have ever seen. His numbers are up there among the league leaders, not rookie leaders, league leaders. Like how much does like when somebody has an extraordinary season like that, we forget it is most valuable player. You could make the argument that to his team, because there were zero expectations and how he has elevated the entire organization, that C.J. Stroud may be the most valuable player and not having the best season. Yeah, so that that would be his big argument, right? Like, it's the Texans were an afterthought this offseason. We all thought they would probably win five, six, seven games, maybe eight, um, and they'll and they'll look into the future. We'll go, the Texans next year will be good, right? Like, they need one more year. They're already there. Like, they're arrived a, a year early. Like, he's, he's dropped and dropped into that team. And he already has a top 10 passing offense. He's already basically top 10 in every quarterback metric. And that's him. And he opens up everything. He makes everyone else better. Like, did you think Tank Dell, Dalton Schultz, Robert Woods, Nico and Nico Collins, Collins no. and, and Devin Singletary and David Pierce were a top 10 weapon unit? No. Nope. Right now, they're, they're playing like it. And it's because their quarterback's scheming them open and he's getting the uh, getting the throws on time. And Bobby Slowick is, and him are such a good combination. Like, Bobby Slovak, Dallas Quarter Texans, is doing an awesome job. He's basically taken like a Kyle Shanahan offense and constructed it into a more of a drop back passing game, mixed in with the play action. Like he's revolutionized the two CJ Stroud strengths. And um, they're a great duo. And I, he's probably going to be a head coach at the end of this year uh, with, with the work he's done with CJ Stroud. Yeah, he's been, uh, he's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, listen, buddy, you spent a, a lot of time with me, as always. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, a fun chat, as we always have. And uh, we'll talk soon. Not anytime, man. Have a good one. There he goes. Brendan Deeg from The Scories, the NFL editor over there and also host of the Double Doink podcast. And, of course, there are TVs on in here that are just playing highlights of that Buffalo Bills loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. And I get to see Sean McDermott's mug talking about how great Josh Allen was and they pissed away another. Anyway, whatever. We got lots more to get to after the break. How about the Pittsburgh Steelers? The offense cooks, and they only score 16 points. But they beat the Bengals. Oh, the Bengals. No, but the Bengals suck too. So, well, what do we make of the Pittsburgh Steelers and that performance in the non-Matt Canada era? Also, uh, somehow under the radar, the Chiefs win again, and we're not talking about it. But we will talk about it uh, when we come back. Also, Monday Night Preview.
Bears, Vikings, get excited. Or at least we'll try. So the fan check down. Matt Marchese on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll be back in a few. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. And for those listening on podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it was one of those days yesterday where you're watching it, and I was very happy that there wasn't a thousand games on yesterday so I could actually focus my attention and watch different things because that would, you know, that's always a, a very nice benefit. And then there's like 100 teams on the bye this coming week including the Bills, the Ravens, the Vikings, the Raiders. I think there's six on the bye this week. So anyway, it's it's a very welcome addition to the schedule where you're not going crazy. One of the games that I certainly didn't think that I would be going crazy for, but at least we learned a thing or two from, was the Steelers taking on the Bengals. Steelers win it 16-10. to 10. Pittsburgh has the most yards on offense by that organization since 2018, which to me, with the t- some of the talent that they've had, is pretty remarkable. It just speaks to, well, it speaks to the lack of creativity from Matt Canada and not pushing the ball down the field. And, well, sometimes they didn't have the quarterback to push it down the field. And, well, they tried to do that yesterday. And it, it, was, it worked. They cleared 400 yards for the first time also since 2020, which again, remarkable. Kenny Pickett, 24 of 33, 278 yards. Not something that I would have expected considering how bad Kenny Pickett has looked. But maybe there's something there. And let's not sleep on getting Pat Fryermuth back and healthy. Because Pat Fryermuth is a really good tight end. Great pass catcher. And he makes things happen. They were able to use him in the middle of the field. And that's something that the Pittsburgh Steelers have really struggled with. It felt like every single throw was outside the numbers, consistently outside the numbers. And Pat Fryermuth, well, again, and again, the the Bengals are not great against opposing tight ends, but nine catches, 120 yards. That goes a long way in being able to eventually throw outside the numbers. Because you can you can use the middle of the field and expand your horizons. They were one of the easiest teams to defend because there was no creativity. It was, hey, let's just throw it down the sidelines and hopefully George Pickens or Deontay Johnson will catch it. That was the game plan. And, and run Najee Harris right up the gut every single time or to the outside where you know he's not going to get any sort of an edge. Well, yesterday he was pretty good too. The run game actually was good and it was not led by Jalen Warren, which is a, has to be a welcome sight for Steelers and their fans because they're firmly entrenched in a playoff spot right now. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to make the playoffs. Another year where nobody expects them. Well, I mean, at the beginning of the season, we thought, mm, look at them in preseason. Well, we're not going to do that again. But boy, oh boy, 
they look like a team that's going to be in the playoffs and they may cause problems. And I'm not saying that because the offense is super good because it's not still, but they've got some time to figure it out because they have a cushion to get into the playoffs. They're winning football games. You can say that they're winning football games against bad teams, but they're still winning football games. Shh. It's because Mike Tomlin's a really good coach. We forget that. But Mike Tomlin's a really good coach. And for the Bengals, not that I really feel bad for any fan base because I've been cheering for a team that just constantly breaks your heart anyway, but they had expectations coming in. And after, you know, Joe Burrow was hurt with the calf injury and we watched him really slog through the first three games, certainly. And then after that, until the bye, and then it's like, oh, Joe Burrow is playing at an elite level. They go out and they hammer the, the, the Niners. They go out and beat the Bills. And the Niners game is on the road, too. They go out and beat the Bills. And then you're starting to feel good. And then Joe Burrow's wrist falls off. And the season is over. At that particular moment when they said and announced very quickly that Joe Burrow was not going to be coming back in that game, you knew the season was over. And if you didn't know, you certainly found out yesterday, and this is no disrespect to Jake Browning, he ain't good. And you can have T. Higgins come back, Jamar Chase play at an elite level, doesn't matter. Not very good. So the Bengals and and their fans, I'm sorry, but your season is finished. Another AFC team that has expectations, and despite, much like the Eagles, not playing their best all-around football outside of maybe a couple of games, Chiefs win again. 31-17 over the Raiders. And you're watching this game, and it's 14-0. And I'm saying, wow. Antonio Pierce is going to keep that head coaching job. I still think he's going to for the Raiders because they're actually playing well under him. But 14-0, and then the offense goes, oh, right, we're supposed to play. Patrick Mahomes only throws seven incompletions the entire game, finishes with 298 yards, two touchdowns. And Travis Kelsey, and if I'm not mistaken, Taylor Swift was not in the building yesterday. So he bucks the trend. Is she still in Brazil, Lance? Do we have the tracker? Is she still in Brazil? Brazil can't be that nice. How many, what is she doing? A thousand shows? Does she have a residence in Brazil? She has a residence in Rio de Janeiro. Her and the Christ the Redeemer statue have the residence in Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> there have been way too many Taylor Swift references on this show. She's taking over football too now. Anyway, Travis Kelsey eclipsed the 90-yard mark for only the third time this season. And yet, with all of those struggles by this team on offense, and the yes, the defense has been really good, and they were pretty good again yesterday, although it is Aiden O'Connell, so mm, whatever. But you look at this and say, they're the top team in the, top team in the AFC again. Winners just win. I know that's a really simple saying, but it's the truth. 
And that is the inherent difference between a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, who haven't gotten it done on offense, generally speaking, the entire season, comparatively to what we have seen from them in the Patrick Mahomes era. Yes, I know there's no Tyree Kill there. I get it. And the receivers are not very good. But Travis Kelsey's taking a step back. And this team, even with that happening, is still the top seed in the AFC. Whereas the Bills have lots of talent. Can't win when it matters. Like my wife said, just when you think they're very good, they suck again. She's been married to me for way too long and been with me for way too long because she knows that. But for Kansas City, despite how this season has gone, do you not look at this and go, well, who's going to beat them in the playoffs? I don't care how bad their offense has been. Their defense has been great. Their offense has been able to get by. And for the for the Las Vegas Raiders, it was a, a nice performance yesterday. Devontae Adams was more involved. Jacoby Myers had a good day. Just not good enough. The team is just... And by the way, Max Crosby, doubtful coming into the game and plays, which, if you're keeping score at home, does not happen, like ever. Max Crosby is a beast. Fantastic football player. Love watching Max Crosby because he is a game wrecker. But it wasn't good enough. The Raiders aren't good enough. They've got a lot of work to do. They're going to figure out very quickly that Aiden O'Connell is not the guy. I think they figured it out. He's he's probably a pretty good backup. But that's another team that is going to be in the conversation for either signing a quarterback, hello, Kirk Cousins, or drafting a quarterback. Which one they're going to get, I have no idea. But there is an opportunity there because they have guys in the skill position group especially, and a guy like Max Crosby on defense, that they can actually make some hay, depending on what happens with Josh Jacobs, because that that still remains to be seen. They just can't screw up the coaching thing again. They should just hand Antonio Pierce the job at the end of the year because he will have done a good enough job and the players like playing for him, plain and simple. You know who uh, players don't like playing for? I'm pretty sure is Brandon Staley. Yesterday, Ravens win it 20 to 10, although it was probably a lot closer than it should have been. Zay Flowers puts on a show, ends the game, bye bye. And how about a Justin Tucker missed field goal inside 50 yards? In this economy? Really? Shocked. But the Ravens, again, get another big win. The Chargers, their season, much like the Cincinnati Bengals, is over. Uh, How about Keaton Mitchell taking over the running back share yesterday for the Baltimore Ravens? We talked about Keaton Mitchell like six weeks ago saying, keep an eye. That's why you got to listen to the show. Ravens nine and three heading into the bye. They're feeling good about themselves. And they, and Isaiah likely not Mark Andrews, but looked pretty good in his stead yesterday. Okay, Monday Nighter. See, we didn't leave a lot of time for this for probably good reason. It's the three and eight Bears visiting the six and five Vikings. Justin Jefferson is questionable in this one. I cannot imagine that they risk Justin Jefferson here. The buy's coming up. 
They're six and five. They have a little bit of a cushion in that NFC playoff race. It's not all doom and gloom like it certainly looked after the first five weeks of the season at one and four. But I can't imagine that Justin Jefferson's coming back. Like, how do you bring him back, especially against the Bears? Like, they're three and eight for a reason. And if you can't beat the Bears without Justin Jefferson, then maybe you probably shouldn't make the playoffs. I've been saying that a lot today, playoffs. Yeah, do the Bears get relegated after this year? Is Asking for a friend. But on the flip side, um, maybe if this is an ugly loss for the Bears, maybe we have something else to talk about tomorrow and it's Matt Eberflus looking for a job. I don't know. But there is a distinct possibility that that could be coming because this has not been pretty for Matt Eberflus in Chicago after taking over from Matt Nagy, who was also just as unimpressive, by the way. And the Justin Fields audition continues. I saw somewhere, and it, I, I apologize because I don't remember where I saw it on Twitter, but it was ESPN or something like that. The Bears have a 57% chance to land the first overall pick because they also have the Carolina pick. Shout out David Tepper and Scott Fitter. Good job, guys. So I look at that and say, play this out. What does Justin Fields bring you? And if you are comfortable in bringing back Justin Fields, well, you can surround him with some pretty good pieces. That Marvin Harrison Jr., I think he's going to be a good player. And it could get really interesting because they may not be able to trade the first overall pick. And if they are sticking with Justin Fields at quarterback, they may have to take Marvin Harrison number one. Because I can't imagine that if Arizona is keeping Kyler Murray, who was not super impressive yesterday either, that they're going to let Marvin Harrison Jr. slip past number two. This could be a very, very interesting draft. All right, let's get the best bets in for today. How about a couple of touchdown scorers in this one? Let's go TJ Hawkinson and the aforementioned Justin Fields. Anytime touchdown scores, I have a feeling this is going to be a high-scoring game. Weirdly enough, they may buck the trend of not having an under in a primetime game. But we'll see what happens. That's going to do it for us here on the Fan Checkdown. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for downloading the podcast. Rate and review wherever you get your favorite podcast. Thanks to Lance Behind the Glass, Matt Marchese signing off. I'll be back tomorrow as we recap tonight's game and plenty more. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll chat tomorrow.